Jill Briscoe today shares the second part of her message, Standing in Moses' Sandals. There's much more from Jill to come. Your generous support keeps broadcasts like this one today going out around the world so you and others can experience life through the teaching and resources of telling the truth. And to thank you for your gift today, we'll send you Stuart and Jill's powerful new five-message series, Fighting Unseen Forces. It's all about how you can live victoriously and win the battles against your spiritual enemy when you stand in Christ and the power of His Spirit. So call today to request your copy, 1-800-889-5388. That's 1-800-889-5388. Or you can give online at tellingthetruth.org. Now it's Jill Briscoe in part two of the message, Standing in Moses' Sandals. God call. God's calling. Now then, you're going to have to be on your face before God when you're asked to do something, even if it means something you feel totally inadequate for. How could I do that? How could I stand in Moses' sandals? So we treat with respect the request, with honor. We realize that God calls through people. We seek God's face to confirm it through his word. How does God call through people? How does he confirm it? Through his word. And of course, the first chapter of Joshua Be strong and very courageous, verse 7. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Don't turn from it to the right, to the left. You may be successful wherever you go. Don't let the book of this law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have not I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified, etc. How is God going to confirm it? By and through his word. As we live our life, as we respond in faith, shivering in our shoes, with our little faith feet, feeling too small to fit those huge shoes or those sandals, then scripture helps us deal with this huge sense of inadequacy. And Joshua is told to mind it and to meditate on it. Mind it. Be careful to obey it. Order your life after its rules and commands. Live rightly according to it and meditate on it. What does this mean to me? What are you telling me to do? Are you confirming this? Are you not? I remember when the young man asked me to go down into an incredible place and speak to his friends. And this place was not the sort of place that Christians would ever be seen dead in. And I remember thinking, I don't want to do that because my Christian reputation would be at stake. What would happen if somebody saw me going into this den of iniquity, which it was, and they knew that I was a youth leader, a Christian missionary? It wouldn't look good. It would uh, bring dishonor to God. And I wrestled with this. And then I said to God, this is something somebody has asked me to do. This is a young Christian, but he is a young Christian leader. He is groaning God. He is straight off the streets. He's a leather-jacketed, was, thug. Now he loves the Lord. Now he's trying to win his friends. Now he has become their leader. He is a leader. Is this God calling? And for all sorts of reasons, I felt inadequate. But I took it that it was God calling. That's where you begin until you're proved otherwise. And I minded the word of God. I wanted to obey it. And I began to meditate on it as I read, what are you telling me to do? Meditate means to chew it over, to think about it, to digest it, to figure it out. 
And I remember coming to Philippians chapter 2, how God made that great graph of grace from highest heaven to lowest hell. And it says in that little passage, he made himself of no reputation. And I remember writing in my Bible at that time, if God made himself of no reputation for me, then I can make myself of no reputation for him. And as I meditated, as I minded it, I heard the call of God through a young ex-street gang leader. And I went. I obeyed it. Like Joshua. (laughs) With the army of God, nothing much else. We started that street ministry. You mind it. You meditate on it. You confirm it. And God's glory is made manifest in our weakness. I don't know if you remember the sense of the song in the play Choices. The play Choices was about Jonah and the worm. In chapter 5 of the story of Jonah, Jonah is the big prophet, but there is a little worm And this little worm is appointed by God. The same word that's appointed, the prophet is used to appoint the worm. He's an appointed worm. He's called. And I wrote the whole story of Jonah and the worm from the worm's point of view, how inadequate this little worm felt. God is calling him to go to Nineveh and be a missionary. A missionary worm. (laughs) And here's Jonah. God is calling Jonah to go to Nineveh and be a missionary. Jonah takes off in the opposite direction in disobedience. And the worm puts his little backpack on and takes off for Nineveh in obedience. And he obeys. Just a little worm. But he feels so inadequate. And when the letter from heaven arrives, if you remember, at his pond, and everybody says, here's a letter from God. Look, it's all shiny. Who's it for? And Bookworm, who's the only one that can read, the big glasses, reads the letter. Oh, it's for, for, for Little Worm. Little Worm? The littlest worm? And Little Worm says, for me? God's calling me? And it says, go to Nineveh. And at the end of that scene, Little Worm sings a song. I enjoyed writing this song because there's so much of me in it. I wouldn't choose me if I were to choose. If I was the Almighty and I didn't want to lose, I wouldn't choose a small thing. I'd likely choose a tall thing. I wouldn't choose me to do his will. Why, I'd choose a wise worm attending private school or a perfect little worm who never broke a rule. I wouldn't choose a weak thing, a frightened little meek thing. I wouldn't choose me to do his will. But he didn't choose the wise, and he didn't choose the good, and he didn't choose the handsome as we often think he should. He chose a little worm so that he could get the glory. He chose humble, simple people to tell out the gospel story. He chose little worm, a willing worm, to do his will. And then, of course, all the verses. I'd choose a rich worm who'd saved up all his money or a sweet, bubbly bee who'd grown up sweet on all that honey. I wouldn't choose a weak thing, a frightened little meek thing. I wouldn't choose me to do as well. But he didn't choose the wise, and he didn't choose the good, and he didn't choose the handsome as we often think he should. He chose a little worm to do as well. And when God calls and God confirms God gets all the glory because we're inadequate. Because we're inadequate. 
and his strength is made perfect in our weakness. This book is your confirmation. This book is your strength. And there's a marvelous verse where Moses, on his dying day, gives his last message to the children of Israel, Joshua standing by his side, and he talks about the book, this book, and he says, these are not just idle words for you. They are your life. (laughs) What a verse. Not just idle words for you. They're your life. That's what this is all about. And Joshua knew it. He'd been up the mountain and saw Moses come out of the mist, his face shining in glory with this huge, great tablet of stone. And I can imagine him going up saying, what's that? And I can see Moses saying, it's been written with the finger of God on both sides. (laughs) This has been written with the finger of God on both sides. Through and through. And this is my life. Is this your life? Do you obey it? Does somebody ask you to do something? Do circumstances ask you to do something? To be the mommy? To be the single parent? To be the leader? To be the follower? To be the servant? To be the slave? Do you say, I can't? And God says, no, you can't, but I can. I can. Because I've called you. And this word will be your strength. And you will be prosperous and successful. These are not idle words. These are your life. Are they your life? Do you believe it's written by the finger of God on both sides? Do you respect this Bible, not question it, as the authoritative, powerful, inspired word of God? Well, his word will bring you hope in despair and life in deadness and the power to perform in your inadequacy. Yes, it will. God calls you. God will instruct you. God will confirm it. And God will empower you. For God never calls without equipping. Faithful is he that calls you who also will do it. And when you reckon on his inner company, on his power, you hang your weakness on his strength. And you take the step. You open your mouth. You nurse the patient. Jill Briscoe and her message, Standing in Moses' Sandals. She's coming right back with more. But first, here's a note from listeners Laura and Keith, who wanted to share this. Thank you for your faithfulness to the gospel of grace and prosperity. May he continue to bless you richly. Thanks for those kind words. That's the kind of blessing you can bring into people's lives through your gift of support today as you help share God's word around the world so more people can experience life through telling the truth. And when you give this month, we'd like to bless you with a copy of Stuart and Joel Briscoe's new five-message series, Fighting Unseen Forces. Every day, you're locked in a battle with your spiritual enemy one that threatens your spiritual, emotional, and relational well-being. But you are not alone, and you're not without help. And in this powerful series, the Briscoes will show you, straight from God's Word, how you can live victoriously each day. 
You'll gain confidence in knowing that you'll never be overpowered in your spiritual battles as you discover that the fight's not even fair when you have Christ and His Spirit. Fighting Unseen Forces is our thanks for your gift to help more people experience life through the teaching resources of Telling the Truth. So request your copy when you call 1-800-889-5388. That's 1-800-889-5388. Or give online at tellingthetruth.org. Now, we head back to Jill Briscoe. When you reckon on his inner company, on his power, you hang your weakness on his strength. And you take the step, you open your mouth, you nurse the patient. I found, as I remember back to nursing my mother-in-law in her last days of cancer, how I never thought I could do any of those things. Those awful things, those horrible things. Death is horrible, the process of death. Jesus wept at the process of death. How could I ever, without any nurse's training, nurse a terminally ill cancer patient? How could I do that? But faithful is he that called you who also will do it. And reckoning on his company, I found myself adequate. I found myself adequate. How? Because of the spirit. Because within me there is the one who knows how to nurse cancer patients. Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit. There's the secret. In whom is the spirit? And you see, Joshua was looking at Moses as Moses was dying. He was not looking at Moses as Moses was. Because Moses was inadequate. Desperately inadequate. Read chapter 3 of Exodus. When God calls Moses, who's been sitting in the backside of the desert looking after a bunch of scraggy sheep, a failure, a murderer, a fugitive, blown his opportunity, his glorious opportunity to be Pharaoh and set the people free. Moses says, I can't do it. God says, no, I'm sending you to bring the children out. And he says, I can't do it. And he begins to come up with all these excuses. I, I'm not eloquent. My brother, Aaron, he's the eloquent one. I can't even speak. Who made your mouth, says God. I made your mouth. You can speak well enough. Well, I, I, I can't preach. I can't speak. Well, you're pretty good with the excuse. <laughs> Just go. I'm sending you. And he comes out with this incredible verse. Here am I. Send somebody else. Send Aaron. And we're either saying, here am I, send Aaron, or here am I, send Caleb. Moses must have been tempted many, many times. And you see, what we do is compare ourselves as someone who is completed or nearly, instead of realizing that they too have felt inadequate. How could Moses stand in Joseph's sandals? Imagine what he felt like when God called him. But for this we have Jesus. Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit. And this is the same God in different people. When you feel inadequate, it's often because you're comparing yourself to someone else. You are you. God calls, God equips, God prepares, God has made you, you, perfect. Same God, different instruments. Same God, different people. Preaching is the dissemination of truth through different personalities. God calls, God equips, God prepares. 
And as Joshua began to think of his idol, Moses, how can I stand in his shoes? Perhaps God brought to mind all the things Moses must have shared, for he was the humblest man in the world, so the Bible tells us. And Joshua maybe thought back to the stories that Moses had told about his feeling of inadequacy, that here is a man that had had to get over his own sense of inadequacy as well. And Moses, I'm sure, had told Joshua, Joshua knew about his palace training, God's permitted will. And you know what's going to help you when you feel inadequate, that you look back on your past and you see that everything that's happened in your past is in the context of his permitted will for you. It was God's permitted will that Moses should be brought up in Pharaoh's household. That was his palace training. It was Joshua's palace training the permitted will of God that he should be a slave. And what we need to do is not look back in our past and say, look what happened to me, and feel inadequate. Look back on your past and realize that's all part of what God is now going to use as you take people into the promised land. God prepares by permitting your past to be what it was, to be non-Christian, to be terrible, to be good, to be everything in between. And your part is to realize that God has had a past that he has permitted and to thank him for it. Joshua's past was permitted by a loving, sovereign God and all part of his palace training. And when I think of my past, of my war years that I talked about at the beginning, of my non-Christian but good home, of my training in a top university but very secular scene, then I know that's my palace training. I don't say, God, why didn't you bring me into a Christian home? Why didn't I hear the gospel when I was a child? Why didn't I have a chance to go to Bible school, etc., etc.? I say, no, I am the perfect person. I have the perfect past. I have the perfect present, and I will have the perfect future. I am just the right person for this job. I am Joshua. God did not use Moses to bring the people into the promised land. He used Moses to bring them to the point of going in. And then Joshua's soldierness, everything that made Joshua a soldier was now needed. Not a statesman like Moses, a soldier. That's what God needed. And when you look at the opportunities you're given, when you look at who you are and who you live with and whose wife you are and whose mother, you are the perfect mother, you are the perfect wife for your husband. You are just right. I edit this little magazine just between us. And it goes out to pastors' wives and ministry wives. And we come back to this over and over again because one of the biggest problems with pastors' wives and ministries' wives is a sense of low value. Their husband is very prominent. He's the one up there. They are the pastor's wife. Now, you're not called the garbage collector's wife. You're not called the shopkeeper's wife. Maybe you're called the doctor's wife, but that's probably about it. You are who you are. You have a name. You have a personality, but not so the pastor's wife. She's the pastor's wife. She's an appendage. She's taken along so often on the coattails of her husband's call. She doesn't feel valuable, but she's expected to do all the things she's never been trained to do, like run the women's work. And so she tries to run the women's work, and the women's work doesn't go well. Well, it must be me if I was a better pastor's wife, if my husband was married to a better pastor or to another woman. I get those letters all the time, this low sense of self-worth. And over and over again, we write back and we talk to them and we say, you're just the right wife for this man. God made you. 
everything that's gone into bringing you to this point. You're the perfect personality for what God has in mind. And what you have to do is to realize that God's permitted past and his perfect timing come together and he calls you through people and he affirms it through the word and you get out there and you do battle for the Lord. Perfect timing. God's clocks keep perfect time. They really do. That's Jill Briscoe and her message, Standing in Moses' Sandals. She's right back to wrap things up with a final thought. Spiritual warfare is very real, and it's a war in which every Christian is engaged. The truth is, your spiritual enemy will stop at nothing to keep you from experiencing the abundant life God wants you to have in Christ. The good news is that through Christ and the power of His Spirit, you're a guaranteed victory. It's that encouragement that Stuart and Jill are excited to give you with their new five-message series, Fighting Unseen Forces. This powerful resource will encourage you with the comforting truth that you're not alone when it comes to spiritual warfare. As you grow in God's Word with this series, you'll gain clarity of purpose, courage for battle, and strength for each day. Fighting Unseen Forces is our way of thanking you for your gift to help more people around the world experience abundant life in Christ through the unchanging truth of God's Word. Simply request your copy of this series when you call today and give a gift to help keep the ministry of Tell Me the Truth going around the world. Call 1-800-889-5388. That's 1-800-889-5388 or give online at tellingthetruth.org. Let's hear from Jill Briscoe once more. My daughter Judy had just got married. I needed somebody to go with me to Australia for five weeks ministry. And I called Judy knowing that her husband was in the middle of his MBA and spent his life in the library and said, they had no children at the time, do you want to come? Do you want to come with me? And we worked it out and she came. And about two weeks before that event, my back went out. Well, by the time I got to Australia after 25 hours in a plane or whatever it was, I couldn't get up. And my daughter not only had to carry my bags, but she looked at me and said, we have five weeks meetings, two or three meetings a day, thousands of women, travel. What are we going to do? And I said, what are you going to do? And she said, I'm going to carry your bags. I said, you're going to have to do more than that, Judy. She said, what do you mean? I said, you're going to have to speak. I can't do that. How can I stand in your shoes? Well, the first meeting... There were 1,200 women in Sydney in a great big convention center. And I said, I can manage one sitting down, and you'll have to do the next session. And so I did the first one. And Judy, in her own words, went to walk with her Bible. And she said women kept coming up to her on those paths as she was walking around, desperately inadequate, saying, oh, your mother was wonderful. And she said, I'd prayed so ardently she wouldn't be. Don't let her be that good, God. And she said, the more they said, the worse I felt. And she had one talk she'd given to some kids, and it was on anxiety. (laughs) I said, do that. She said, oh, that'll be easy. And she got up that day, and she told the women how she felt, which immediately got them all on her side, as you can imagine. 
And Judy Briscoe Goals' ministry began in Australia. God leaned out of heaven and said, now then you. Now then you. And somewhere along that path at that conference center, she had opened a Bible. She still doesn't know where it is. We think it was the passage where Paul is speaking about many instruments giving a different tone and sound. And everyone has a distinctive note. And God said to her, you are not Jill Briscoe, you are Judy Goals. And every instrument means a different noise. And you have a sound to make that your mother can never make. Now then, you get up there and do it. And so called of God, affirmed by the word, inadequacy hanging on his adequacy, Judy did it. And she celebrated the difference. She maximized her gifts, her talents, her personality that God gave her. And that's how it works. That's how it works. Jill Briscoe, closing out today's Telling the Truth. We hope today's message encouraged you. Now, before we go, remember that when you give today to help keep Telling the Truth broadcasts like this one going out around the world, we'll send you Stuart and Jill Briscoe's new five-message series, Fighting Unseen Forces, to help you discover how you can live victoriously each day, knowing that with Christ and His Spirit, you're never alone. So call now to give and remember to request your copy of Fighting Unseen Forces with our thanks. 1-800-889-5388. 1-800-889-5388. Or you can give online at tellingthetruth.org. Next time, life is full of seasons. And some of those seasons bring immense emotional pain. It can be hard to understand how you'll get through it. Well, tomorrow on Telling the Truth... Jill Briscoe shows you how God helps us fight and win our battles. Tune in and experience life.